Hello, fellow foodies. This is Dr. Cassandra Quave, and you're listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. This episode has a slightly different setup from what you may be used to when listening to Foodie Pharmacology. This interview is part of a series that I did in collaboration with the International Treaty on Plant Genetic Resources for Food and Agriculture. In this series, I talk to different experts about the trends they observe in plants that are important to our agriculture, diets, and health. I hope you enjoy. If you're in a graduate program or you want to do a project on agriculture, you can look at the overview of the data and see things that stick out or see things that might surprise you with other things that you might know and ask yourself like, oh, what's going on here? Like, why does this one product or why does this one group stick out? Either like, what's the story behind this data? Hello, this is Dr. Cassandra Quave presenting Treaty Talks, a podcast by the International Treaty on Plant Genetic Resources for Food and Agriculture. In this series, I'm discussing trends with experts in crop production, research, and gastronomy. This series reflects on plants that feed the world, a study and database presenting figures on plants that are important to humans' diet, health, and livelihoods on a global scale. We have um, Jasmine Wibisono on the line, and Jasmine is a recent graduate from the Bard's College Graduate Programs in Sustainability, where she earned a Master's of Science in Climate Policy. Her capstone research focused on analyzing alternative proteins through a climate change lens. And during her, during her research, Jasmine worked with the FAO as a student researcher, supporting the International Plant Treaty. So thanks so much for um, speaking with us today, Jasmine. Maybe you can share a bit more about the types of crops that you focus on in your studies. Sure. Yeah, I completed a capstone project last spring that investigated the state of alternative proteins that are plant-based with a particular focus on pre-protein as a plant-based protein that is rising in popularity. Yeah, I've seen pea proteins all over the marketplace and many different products now. What what really drives your interest in pea proteins? Yes. So if I'm being honest, I didn't have a particular pea interest. When <laughs> That's I started, okay. Yeah. yeah. When I started um, looking for a topic, I just noticed that, like you said, at the store, there's all these alternative proteins and alternative protein products. Um, like the uh, alternative meats that are made from plant-based sources. And so that's where I started my research. I was like, what is going on with the crops that enable these new and innovative products? And I landed on pea because like you said, it's everywhere now. And it seems to sort of have had like a small explosion or as a consumer, it's seems to have sort of come out of nowhere. So I wanted to know more about what goes on behind the curtain, about how these products are made and, you know, what crops support these project products and what crops and how do these crops, um, how are they made? How are they produced? How do they go from, you know, grown out into a field, um, processed and made into a product that we find in our grocery store. 
That's great. Maybe maybe you can give us some examples of what types of products are we talking about here? Are we talking about artificial dairy products or are these more meat substitutes? What types of products are pea protein showing up in? Sure. So pea protein is one of the um, is the basis of one of the alternative meats that are very popular um, with it. That's associated with a specific brand. But pea protein is also used as a supplement um, as one of those powder supplements that in the recent past have been whey protein or other protein. Um, and well, I've noticed that there's this interest in alternative protein supplements, but also an industry interest in alternative plant-based proteins to create into products for consumers like those plant-based meats, but also protein snacks, just other products that I think consumers can easily incorporate plant-based proteins into their diets. And so I guess one of the obvious questions when it comes to research on these kind of global production schemes is, is this route of production sustainable? Like what are some of the the types of things that you found in, in your research on pea protein? So I think that I want to, it's sort of a hard question, right? Because that these conversations are always so nuanced. I think generally that pea protein right now is how it's produced. I think from the research that I found, it's pretty sustainable. And in terms of comparing it with other proteins, um, such as whey or meat-based proteins, it is more sustainable than that. But in terms of, is it sustainable for any product? I think that's a harder question to answer. I also think, though, in my research, people um, might not realize just how, what an opportunity um, there might be at this juncture that we find ourselves in, in, you know, turning to alternative proteins to ensure sustainability into the future and to ensure that pea protein and other products and other innovative protein alternatives can be and will be as sustainable as possible as they rise in popularity, as these companies uh, scale the popularity or as consumers demand more of these alternative proteins. I think that there's a great opportunity to keep sustainability in mind at the outset as these products are reigning, I mean, gaining popularity. That's great. So it sounds like this is really an area of research opportunities and development opportunities. What what can you share with us about these exciting trends? Like, what are you most excited about when it comes to this particular area of agriculture? Sure. I think I kind of hinted or kind of hinted this in our, um, just, a, you know, a minute ago. In a broader sense, I think People that I'm in touch with in the climate space and the sustainability space in general, zooming out a little bit, um, are choosing research topics or having more conversations that are emphasizing systems thinking and systems oriented solutions and therefore intersectionality of all these different issues are really being taken into account and really being considered right now, which I personally think is a really great trend and really it's really motivating to see that. And I think taking this more systems thinking approach on challenges like climate or other sustainable issues or 
food security and agriculture security might be sort of a more complex or harder route to take if you're say a student like my like I was recently you know your your final product or your final research product might be maybe double than what you thought um, because you're approaching these issues more complexly or approaching these issues with a fuller picture of all the different angles um, but I think that creates more nuanced solutions and more nuanced policies, which are often better. That's great. Well, I want to make sure that we have time to talk a bit about the crop study. Um, and and what did the crop metric study really mean to you? What is this study um, about? Yes, of course. To me, this study, I see it as a snapshot of the state of a very significant number of globally important crops. Actually, it's more like multiple snapshots of the almost 300 crops that were included from different angles that add to clarity on the big picture of both the specific crops and the specific uh, crop groups, but also how they interact with each other. And yeah, I think that it's also a great on-ramp to young researchers like me to have or to be introduced to these very important ideas such as agriculture interdependence among countries and security, especially in light of a changing climate. So I think that A, it's a snapshot or multiple snapshots and therefore it's a great on-ramp for young researchers. And B, it's also a resource that, yes, I contributed to a little bit, but it's also a great resource for me to use in the future, just because it's such a great summary of how data can be used to connect to the literature and other research topics. That's great. So this this study includes a, a lot of data. How How would you foresee using this data to really advance your own research or research in general in, in your field? More specifically, in terms of scope, I think this study is a great example of just how much insight and information one can garner from data that's on the first surface, pretty straightforward. And yes, I think that as a young researcher, 280 or almost 300 crops is a large amount of crops. But in terms of like, you know, all of the crops in the world, it's a smaller amount. And for me, it's a blueprint on how, again, to relate like raw data and numbers to what the literature is saying and how to look at this raw data and numbers and see what story or what situation it's revealing or telling you. And like I said, in terms of the near future, I plan to use the study as a reference, specifically the figures or the graphs that have of the graphs that have been produced from it. I was talking about snapshots earlier, but these uh, graphs are quite literally snapshots of the different of the nine different types of, I believe it's nine um, nine different types of crops that are out there. Uh, for example, if you look at the figure, I forget which what number it is, but it's, if you look at the figure for significance of crops in terms of production outside of their geographic origins, 
you can pretty easily deduce that pulses, which is something that I'm interested in, have a high significance outside of their origins. And that's a data point that you can use and include in both like any research that you're doing if you're interested in pulses, but also maybe it can inspire research questions. If you, you know, see something that in the data that it stands out, um, it can sort of act as a guide for choosing research topics. If you're in a graduate program or you want to do a project on agriculture, you can look at the overview of the data and see things that stick out or see things that might surprise you with um, with other things that you might know and ask yourself like, oh, what's going on here? Like, why does this one product or why does this one group um, stick out? Either, yeah, like what's the story behind this data? I think that it can be used to sort of explore other questions in research. That's great. My last question um, is, can you comment on the format in which these data are available? Sure. Yeah. I think the main thing that is really great to me um, as a young researcher is the cleaned results are going to be available publicly on the website. And so it, there's even more data that is related to the study that's made publicly available in a very accessible way outside of the figures that have been produced to be included in the paper itself. And I think that's a really great um, resource because when I was doing my research and using just specific databases, you often find gaps in just using one database. And you might have to use two or even three, but what the study does is sort of do the groundwork and legwork for you and gather data from different sources and normalize them and sort of address the largest gaps that you might find by using only one database. Jasmine, thank you. Thank you for listening to Treaty Talks, a podcast by the International Treaty on Plant Genetic Resources for Food and Agriculture. For more interviews and information, visit www.fao.org slash plant treaty. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. To listen to this and other episodes of the Foodie Pharmacology podcast, head over to foodiepharmacology.com. You'll find links to everything there, including some fun merch. We've also got links to our Teach Ethnobotany YouTube channel, where you can find full video versions of the show. Thanks so much to our producers, to Rob Cohen and Christine Roth of Co-Conspiracy Entertainment for putting on a great show for you each and every week. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Stay healthy out there, and I'll see you next time.